Welcome everyone to Telecom Radio One. Today, another very exciting episode. Today, we have Mari McMinn from Valvoline. And what really sparked this, me wanting to have you on the show, and thank you so much for being on, is you wrote a really, really great article on LinkedIn called Why Supplier Diversity is Good. And why did that surprise me? It surprised me because A, you work for Valvoline, which everyone knows is a massive company, and you're talking about supplier diversity. And in my world, and just in, in IT in general, and anyone that's in procurement, normally you think of an enterprise company being very kind of dollar and cents and not thinking too much about diversity as much as just thinking about get me the cheapest product, make a difference in my bottom line. Am I, am I off there? And thank you again. Thank you so much for being on the show. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And, and thanks for the feedback on the article. It's, um, you know, I fell into supplier diversity on accident and it's become truly a passion as I've seen the value, not just from, um, you know, from the diverse supplier side of things, but from the enterprise thing as well, enterprise side as well. So it's actually a really cool story. Why don't we just start with that? How did you, cause you say you kind of fell into this and it was a challenging role. And uh, what I'll do is I'll put the article link uh, in the podcast as well at the, and kind of like the notes of the podcast so everyone can read it. But you talk a little bit about, you know, you took on the role, you know, head on and you kind of jumped into something that you may have been a little bit unfamiliar territory. So it's a really great story. Why don't you just start with telling us that story? Yeah, so um, I did I did fall into it. Um, my VP came to me. We had a very large customer who um, is part of the Billion Dollar Roundtable, which is about 27 customers um, in the U.S. who spend a billion dollars a year or more with diverse suppliers. And it's pretty prestigious. It's pretty exclusive, obviously. Um, and they came to us and they said, hey, you know, this is in your contract. You've got to get serious about this. And my VP was like, uh, I don't even know what that means. So I said, you know what, me either, but I'm going to figure it out for you. So um, it was my... My background being in data, it's um, a perfect match for trying to figure out what, where we are, what we, where we're not, and how we kind of accomplish that. So I took it on. I've had great mentoring from that customer. Um, we've been in their, um, their, what they call a catalyst program, to help us learn, understand the importance, um, and figure out how to do this, not just check the box, but create a sustainable program around supplier diversity. Um, so we graduated from that program a couple weeks ago. Um, and it, it was kind of funny, that whole event was like, it was like the Mari and Valvoline show. Um, they were just so proud of what we've been able to accomplish over the last couple of years just by digging in there and understanding it. And I think that's where my, um, where, where, what I bring to the table is a little bit different than some of the other diversity uh, managers is that I get the data and I understand it. And then I can take the business case forward. I've been writing business cases for a long time on buying different solutions, um, specifically in the pricing optimization space. Um, and when you understand that there needs to be a return on investment on anything that you're doing for a company, that makes the job a little bit easier. You just got to look at the data, understand the data, and figure out how to move that forward with outcome space. So for some of those out there listening that may misunderstand supplier diversity, because I know I did, I thought, hey, I can bring all kinds of suppliers to the table, and that's diverse. Why not just give a little bit of definition around what really is supplier diversity? You know, why is it important? And then we can maybe talk about, you know, some of the benefits to it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so supplier diversity has been around a very long time. I think that's the thing that a lot of people have lost sight of. Um, like 1953, um, the Small Business Administration was created, which was really to create opportunities for small businesses in the United States to have access to government contracts. Um, you know, if you look at some of the data for the Small Business, um, the small business Administration, like 48% of the workforce in the United States is employed by small business. So it's crazy when you think about the economic impact of small businesses, um, what that looks like from a, you know, from, the, from, 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 a, from a policy standpoint, right? People are working in this space. This is how, you know, what they do every day. Um, and that's actually fueling the economy. So it's really important that people kind of understand that it's not just about um, set-asides or affirmative action or any of those things. In fact, it's none of those things. Um, at the end of the day, it's about giving access. Um, so throughout history, you know, minorities were added on, the women component was added on, um, the service-disabled veteran and veteran-owned businesses have become um, key recently as well. Um, some of the first things they focused on were, were organizations who were based in historically, uh, what they call hub zones, or historically underutilized business zones, where people have high levels of unemployment, and those businesses need access to contracts in order for people to work. So that's really kind of where a lot of that started in history um, at the very top. Gotcha. So I don't know if we have time to go into how you actually vetted finding all of the actual companies that you're going to choose and or use. But at the end of the day, what were some of the benefits of working with diverse suppliers? Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was, it was quite the transition for us. Um, you know, one of the, some of the first things we did was uh, we went to some of the national conferences. So the Minority Supplier Development Council, the National Minority Supplier Development Council, or we call NMSDC, um, has a conference every year. The Women's Business Enterprise National Council, WeBank, um, has a couple of different events. Plus, all of these guys have regional affiliates. So as you're getting out there and you're talking to people, um, you know, people come to you. But you have to be selective, right? And one of the things I'm still very protective of inside Valvoline is um, I want to make sure that my diverse suppliers, when they come to table, because we're still, um, while we've grown our spend 365% over the first two years of the program, we're still, it's still, a, it's a, still um, a small amount of our spend. So we're working towards a larger goal, but I have to make sure that those suppliers I'm bringing in knock it out of the park every time. And what you find is a lot of these smaller guys come in and they get so excited to have Valvoline as a potential customer that they, you know, they, they, they just kind of throw up all over everything. And so you really have to work with them tightly to make sure that they're focused on the thing that they're going to do that makes them different from every other supplier that they're going to be competing against. Um, and that's where we've really had a lot of success is focusing on that. So we find, you know, I'll go to a show and I'll meet 100 new vendors who are possible potential partners. Um, we get that whittled down pretty quickly, um, and it becomes a handful. It's a very small handful oftentimes because our program is small, um, our resources are limited, so we really are trying to focus on the ones who we know have, who can move the needle quickly um, and who are going to deliver in a way that is going to either create savings for the bottom line and or get us better product in the end. So that's really how we focus um, to make sure, you know, because there's a million janitorial supply customers out there or, or vendors out there. Let's make sure we get the one who is going to knock it out of the park. Better service, better delivery, you know, cheaper pricing, certainly. But at the end of the day, they've got to be a partner to us and not just a vendor. You, you actually brought up a fairly controversial topic, um, in my book at least. And that is, and I, and I see people post this all the time on LinkedIn, and it is something that I say, why not? And I completely disagree with. 
And you'll, you'll just see sales guys a lot. They say you can't have the best priced product, good customer service and quality all in one. And I question that all the time. I say, why not? Why can't you have a well-priced product? Why can't you have good customer service and deliver, uh, you know, deliver an excellent product at a great price at the same time? Do you agree that you can't have all three or do you think it's possible? Oh, I totally think it's possible. I mean, we've proven it's possible. Um, you know, we've, we've engaged with a couple of, of um, integration partners who have delivered faster, um, cheaper, better, and have given us more than, than the original scope. So you know, to their, sometimes in my mind, I'm like, hey, watch out, you're getting a little too far on your scope creep there. But at the end of the day, my stakeholders are incredibly happy, and they're going back to those vendors over and over again. Now, are they, you know, we're not talking about being dirt cheap. We're not talking about being, you know, pricing yourself out of business, right, which is very important for some of these small um, organizations to understand is make sure you can live with the price that you're giving us because we will take a, we'll take everything you give us, right? But at the end of the day, for me, um, having a more value-oriented equation versus strictly bottom-line price, um, you know, if you can do some kind of analysis to understand what the overall value is that I received for the price paid, it doesn't matter that it's the cheapest dollar. At the end of the day, it's like, do I get more value? Even if I'm paying a little bit more, that's still a win-win for both of us. Give me a, I just curious, I want a little bit, maybe a little before and after, because A, I've done you know, CNSG and my company, we work with a, a lot of vendors, a, a lot of diverse vendors as well. We work with a lot of, you know, a day service disabled women owned businesses. And I've seen the bureaucratic process um, through large companies. Um, Some do it well, I would say some do it. The majority do it not as fast and well and as nimble with as great customer service. Uh, and I've seen, yes, little companies like dance around and do a great job. And uh, then I've seen a little company sell as well into a big company. And then everything that you gained uh, disappears as well. I'm just curious, right. like, what, can you give me like a before and after? Do you remember what the process was like maybe working with a large bureaucracy and then moving to one of these, you know, smaller, more diverse vendors? And wh- what was like maybe some of the, the biggest noticeable differences? Right. So, you know, one of the things that um, we, we have a very large digital transformation project underway. And we have a, we, at the time, a very large integration partner doing a lot of the planning and analytic work around helping us figure out where we wanted to go next. Um, well, the contract itself is, you know, I don't know, 50 pages. And the statements of work were were incredibly challenging for our business users to understand what it was they were actually getting. I was pushing that integration partner to so so we could tie deliverables to payments so that we made sure that we were getting what we paid for every time we cut them a check. But because they were so big, um, we really struggled to get that through. Uh, I think a little bit of it was because they were so big and a little bit of it was because we were trying to move really fast um, and probably... Um, not behaving in our ultimate best interest around this particular relationship. We move forward to a boutique that we've been using for some slices of this digital transformation, who's been a very good partner, very small, cloud-based solutions provider out of Florida, woman-owned, who, by the way, used to work for the big integration partner. So she has that kind of skill set that she's brought forward. Um, But what we found was we could, we could, manage that contract differently. The contract was shorter. The life cycle of that contract was easier to manage. 
um, the actual statement of work, we were, we were very clear between working with the partner um, at this very small organization, working with her directly to say, we, we, we need to make sure we're doing this. We've gotten burned before. We want to make sure that we all are, all are aligned. And that creates both satisfaction from my stakeholders to your organization, as well as making sure that we can track back to pay, that we got what we paid for. And just, just the, the simplicity of dealing with a smaller organization has been um, time-saving on my side as a buyer and the negotiator. Um, mm. But bigger than that, you know, our rates are lower because our overhead is lower. We're not paying for big bloated organizations. We're paying for the work that we're getting. Um, and, and quite frankly, we've gone back to them two or three more times now to give them additional business because they have been so easy to work with. The teams get the business. They've spent a lot of time here versus the big integration partner, which is, you know, they fly them in, they fly them out, they fly them in, they fly them out. Mm. And it just creates a different level of partnership between that smaller organization that we have been able to um, leverage. And quite frankly, we appreciate. It's awesome. Uh, and just from a business philosophical standpoint, whatever you want to call it, yeah, the expectations you, you could set expectations clearly and feel confident that those are going to be met as opposed to a large bureaucratic minutia of people that, like you said, might fly in and even ownership in the company themselves. Uh, the person flying in might not have as much ownership uh, just in general, right. um, which is interesting because you are that large bureaucratic organization. <laughs> <We are. laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's like, uh, which is actually really cool. So I think it's a way it, a, it says a ton about Valvoline, by the way, it really says a ton about your company and your ability to diversify and, and really take on those values, which is huge. Last question. And I always want to ask you may, maybe to provide something to the, there's going to be other people that are stuck in your same situation. For sure. What, you know, whether it be one piece of advice or two pieces of advice, Maybe it's a suggestion on, on how someone can start doing this or a larger enterprise organization can do this. Would, you know, could they reach out to you for advice? What's, what's your one piece of advice that you would want to give to um, anyone else out there that might be in this similar situation drowning in the minutia? Yeah. And the first thing for me is really, um, and I think the success or failure of supplier diversity and most of the enterprise organizations is understand why you're doing it. Um, you know, for us, it really started as compliance, but, um, and, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but because I understood um, or saw the value quickly um, with what these organizations were bringing to us, they're more nimble than we are, they're more innovative than we are, um, they can turn on a dime for us, they, you know, they may not have all the tools in the toolbox that a big partner might have, but they, they know how to leverage those tools, and they get in there, and they work so hard for you. Um, but you, you, you know, once you kind of understand that, um, you can start to leverage the story internally because it does take a lot of evangelical work inside the organization. I'm still working on it. You know, two years in, we still have a long, long way to go. But understanding why we are doing it, um, for us, it's, you know, A, compliance, for sure. We've got to do it. Several of our large customers, I have to report to them quarterly or monthly. B, um, our customers are diverse. And then when I talk about our customers, I'm talking about primarily our consumer customers. So we run instant oil chain stores. Um, people are buying oil off of the shelf at retailers that have our name on it. Those customers are diverse. And knowing that they work in organizations who are supported um, in the, by small businesses, they are the small business owners themselves or they're working for small businesses. If you think about you know, 50% of employees being in that space, why are you not supporting that as a, not even about goodwill, but about reciprocity, right? 
So there's a lot of loyalty there that comes back to you when you are supporting your customer base into their own businesses. Um, and then the last thing, honestly, for us is now we figured out, wait a minute, there's business we have not historically been able to get to because we weren't doing this well. Organizations who are in the billion-dollar roundtable, they care about this. Organizations who are in the billion-dollar roundtable could be big customers for us. Why are we not pursuing that? So the government is another another entity that we haven't been able to, to address well because we haven't had these kind of programs. So a lot of our products meet, you know, we have great product, but now we need to take it to the next level to make sure that we are providing value and more than just the product space to our customers, whatever those customers are. But understanding your why to do it and being able to talk through the organization about that is really key. Let me ask another question, maybe a little bit sure. more personal, just a little bit more sure. personal because A, you're working in a large, you've been very successful in a large enterprise company. Yep. And I get, I get all kinds of comments all day long. I, I, I pretty much connect with uh, people that are working in the enterprise space all day long and I get a mixed bag of answers. And a lot of times I get, I mean, I call them whiners and, and I say that with all, uh, all form of wanting to push someone forward, but I get yep. people whining saying they're stuck in the bureaucracy. Yep. They can't work up that there's, you know, nepotism that there's the old entrenched hierarchy um, and I tell them, well, hey, you know, all these people have to die someday, and I'm not trying to be <laughs> insensitive, but sure. I mean, you know, what do you have to say to someone that's been working in an, in an environment like that so long and kind of pushed through and, and been successful? I mean, any piece of advice there for anyone that feels stuck? Yeah, find your advocates and your champions, right? So one of the things that I tell um, a lot of other women in our organization is there are coaches, there are mentors, there are advocates, and they're champions understand who is who in your personal board of directors, right? And this is true for, for whoever. It doesn't matter, you know, man, woman, you know, doesn't matter where you come from. You need to understand who values what you're bringing to the table. Um, and when you find that, those are the people who can take you forward. Um, it doesn't even have to be a senior level person, um, somebody who can leverage you in another business unit, somebody who can leverage you um, as a resource that's an, a peer to you. All of those people help build your, um, your network and therefore help you move along the path. Because most of those opportunities, uh, you know, we talked about being bi-directional earlier. Most of those opportunities are bi-directional. So I'm getting something in return for giving you something. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, even a peer-to-peer -peer, um, opportunity, if I'm teaching you how to work a spreadsheet a little bit different or understand, helping you understand the data that you're looking at. I'm understanding more about the business problem you're trying to solve. So we, it's a win-win again um, for both of us. And once you understand how to leverage those relationships, um, you know, it, it, I think it makes your life a lot easier internally. And I get that I'm a, I'm a hardcore extrovert. So I get a lot of the introverts in the space are going, oh, you need to go out and talk to people. I'm so exhausted about all that. But at the end of the day, find the ones who you're comfortable with. You know, you introverts work with introverts all the time, and that still is a doable opportunity. But you've got to find the people who can um, you know, help you grow, whether that's through advocacy championship or through just general coaching and learning. Most people don't would never think this, but I'm an absolute crazy introvert. I really am. And um, <laughs> The I'm only thing that's ever helped <laughs> the only thing that's ever helped me overcome that is to look outward and to look at other people and know right. that your job is to help other people. If you help enough other people get what yep. they want, understand them. If you can connect, discover, and respond with another person, then yep. 
and, and help them, then ultimately, you know, you know, you'll get what you need. Um, I'm not a big, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of whiners. So I'll just be honest with you, Pete. Whiners along with me very well. Um, it, this has been, this has been awesome. Uh, really, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I, I would actually like to have you come back for another topic which is the rfp topic which i have a lot of problems with i don't know if you write rfps do you first of all do you give out rfps do people you have know RFPs? i do and, and and so i hate them honestly i hate to write okay, them we can't go there we can't go there we can that's talk the about this for a whole hour too <laughs> yeah that's the other show the other show is how i hate rfps and want to yeah. burn them in the backyard and fire and how I think that RFPs are very controlling and we should really open it up more, maybe more, maybe have more of a, I, I don't know. The RFP discussions of, is a very in-depth one that I'd love to talk about sometime. Yeah. And Probably. we've been experimenting on that too. Phil, so I would love to talk about that. Okay. All right, Mari, thank you so much for being on the show. Have a great day. You too. Thanks Phil. Appreciate your time. <laughs>